listening to the Finance Professor podcast brought to you by financeprofessor.org. Hi, I'm Linus Wilson. In this episode, I talk about some joint work with Wendy Yan Wu of Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo, Ontario, where we look at the banks that participated in a bailout program that was not passed by Congress, which was decided upon entirely within the bureaucracy of the FDIC, and it put taxpayers' money at risk more than the more famous bailouts of Wall Street that passed through Congress. So I'll leave an explanation for that paper in its reading, which will follow right now. Overpaid CEOs got FDIC debt guarantees by Linus Wilson, Associate Professor of Finance, University of Louisiana, Lafayette, and Wendy Yan Wu, Associate Professor of Economics at Wilfrid Laurier University. From 2008 to 2009, the FDIC guaranteed hundreds of billions of dollars of newly issued bank debt through the Temporary Liquidity Guarantee Program, TLGP. We find that CEOs making more than their peer groups were significantly more likely to steer their companies to obtain federal guarantees for their bank's debt. The average bank in our sample with a debt guarantee had a CEO who has paid $1.6 million per year more than the average CEO in his or her peer group. In addition, there is strong evidence that large, systemically important banks were more likely to obtain FDIC debt guarantees. Section 1. Introduction. This is the first study to look at the propensity of banks to participate in the FDIC's debt guarantee program during the financial crisis of 2008 to 2009. We find that banks with more highly paid CEOs and banks with CEOs who are paid significantly more relative to their peer groups were significantly more likely to get FDIC debt guarantees. Typically, CEOs running banks with FDIC debt guarantees were paid $1.58 million more than CEOs in their peer group, yet CEOs of banks that did not receive debt guarantees in our sample only received $0.18 million more than their peer group. Thus, it seems overpaid CEOs were more successful in obtaining FDIC bailouts. We also find strong support for the systemic risk hypothesis. The banks that participated in this FDIC bailout were significantly larger than publicly traded banks in our sample that did not get FDIC debt guarantees. We cannot confirm that participating banks were stronger or more liquid than banks not in the FDIC bailout. According to Paulson 2010, the heads of the seven largest banks plus the CEOs of the clearing banks of State Street and Bank of New York Mellon sallied forth into 1500 Pennsylvania Avenue, the U.S. Treasury Building, on Columbus Day holiday in 2008, past rows of cameras. By that date, federal government support for these banks had been limited to behind-the-scenes support for unelected regulators at the Federal Reserve. These banks received trillions of dollars in loans from the Federal Reserve, but that fact would not be revealed until several years later. On this Columbus Day holiday, 
the federal program that would catch the imagination and ire of the public was the 125 billion capital injections from the troubled asset relief program tarp the tarp was debated hotly by congress and only signed into law a few days before october 3 2008 yet on columbus day 2008 another program without congressional authorization would be announced with the capital injections The temporary liquidity guarantee program (TLGP) was personally pitched to the nine top executives by Sheila Bear, chairwoman of the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation (FDIC) at the time, according to Paulson. That program would provide debt guarantees to new debt issued with maturities of less than four years. In Figure One, we use our limited data on the guarantees passed out to these first nine banks, whose top executives were personally invited by the chair of the FDIC to take part in the program. For the seven banks for which we have data, the subsidy was close to 18.5 billion from the FDIC debt guarantees based on credit default swap prices just prior to the announcement of the program. This seems a conservative estimate relative to Veronese and Zingale's estimates of the subsidies of 21 to 44 billion arising from the TARP capital injections and the FDIC debt guarantees of the nine original TARP banks. In Figure Two, we track the aggregate debt guarantees on a monthly basis. Unfortunately, only aggregate figures are available on all months besides December 2010, because of the FDI secrecy about the program. The FDIC provided these guarantees, which would soon guarantee debt with a face value greater than the $475 billion cap on the TARP expenditures, despite having only. Thirty-five billion dollars in the deposit insurance fund, according to Paulson, 2010. Before the TLGP was done, it would pass out over 600 billion in debt guarantees, according to Williams, 2010. Even though the decision to guarantee bank debt was made by unelected regulators, ultimately it was the full faith and credit of U.S. taxpayers. That stood behind these hundreds of billions of dollars of guarantees. This is explicitly acknowledged in the statement in the final rule for the program. The FDIC has concluded that the FDIC guarantee of qualifying debt under the debt guarantee program is subject to the full faith and credit of the United States. The use or abuse of regulatory discretion, depending on one's perspective, cannot be repeated today. Wilmarth, 2011, explains that the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act (Dodd-Frank), signed into law in July 2010, requires in Section 1105 that any debt guarantee program initiated by the FDIC must be supported by a joint resolution of the U.S. Congress. Thus, it appears that the elected officials in 2010. Did not approve of the FDIC's ability to bind taxpayers to a new debt guarantee program without explicit congressional approval. At least one of the TLGP debt guarantees has gone bad since Davis 2011 and Sarshik 
2011 elected to hide the full extent of the debt guarantees from the public, we cannot know the full extent of the losses from the debt guarantees to date. According to the author's analysis, Integra Bank received guarantees of $50 million of senior unsecured debt. We estimate the FDIC will have to take a loss for the full $50 million of that guarantee based on the absolute priority of claims in FDIC receivership. The FDIC's only recovery on that guarantee will be a guarantee fee of $0.375 million. Integra Bank of Evansville, Indiana failed on July 29, 2011. There may have been several debt guarantee recipients that failed prior to the end of 2010, but since we do not have complete data prior to December 31, 2010, we have no records of those banks receiving guarantees. At the time of writing, despite the poor disclosure of the program, taxpayers appear to be so far largely unscathed. This is a stroke of luck. Other sovereigns providing guarantees to their largest banks have not fared so well. Lewis 2010 discusses the 80 billion euro in bank debt guarantees made in September 29, 2008 to existing bondholder in Ireland's six largest banks. Lewis and Johnson argued that these debt guarantees have led to austerity measures and tax increases mandated as part of an international monetary fund sovereign debt restructuring. Cheney and Thakor, 1985, argue that there are few good economic arguments for bank debt guarantees. Moreover, there is a well-developed market for these guarantees, the CDS market, the market price of insuring the top three Irish banks' senior unsecured debt on the last trading day prior to the government guarantee was 2.5% for Allied Irish Bank, 6.8% for Anglo-Irish Bank, and 3.0% for the Bank of Ireland, which is very similar to the CDS rates of the large American banks receiving FDIC guarantees. The three riskiest banks, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and Citigroup, as measured by CDS insurance premiums in Figure 1, had CDS rates of 17.1%, 6.0%, and 3.7%, respectively, on the last trading day prior to the announcement of the FDIC debt guarantee. At the end of 2010, Sebastian 2011 finds that the FDIC had $9.1 billion in deferred revenues from that program. Whether these revenues will be, ever be realized depends on the outstanding debt issued by the TLGP, which was $267.1 billion by the end of 2010. The FDIC's Temporary Liquidity Guarantee Program had two programs, the Debt Guarantee Program on which the present paper is focused and the Transaction Account Guarantee Program tag. The Debt Guarantee Program insured newly issued senior unsecured debt. The maximum amount that could be insured was equal to 125% of the face value of a bank's senior unsecured debt on September 30, 2008. If the bank had no senior unsecured debt, they could issue TLGP debt of up to 2% on their consolidated liabilities on September 30, 2008.
The maximum maturity of this debt was just over three and a half years, depending on when it was issued. The latest maturity dates for this program was initially June 30th, 2012, but it was extended to December 31st, 2012. The last debt under this program had to be issued by October 31st, 2009. The debt guarantee fees depended on the maturity of the debt, whether or not a bank issued debt from its banking subsidiary or its holding company, and if the debt was issued later in the program. The fees and surcharges were higher for longer maturity debt, debt issued by holding companies, and debt issued later in 2009. The guaranteed fees were between 0.5% on an annualized basis for debt issued by a bank prior to April 1, 2009 and maturing within 180 days of issue, and 1.6% for debt issued by a holding company of an uninsured depository institution after June 30, 2009. Most debt issued under this program likely qualified for rates of 1 to 1.35%. Fees were uniform within these categories. Debt guarantee fees were not based on the riskiness of the institution, its debt ratings, or regulatory CAMEL ratings. The TLGP Transaction Account Guarantee TAG program ensured non-interest bearing transaction deposits of unlimited size for banks not opting out of the program. The FDIC collected fees of 10 to 25 basis points per annum based on CAMEL's risk rating of the insured institution. Riskier banks with lower regulatory ratings paid higher fees to be part of the TAG program. The TAG program was announced October 13, 2008, but formally began on December 18, 2008 and was extended from its original end date of December 31, 2009 to December 31st, 2010. By 2010, the TAG program had estimated net losses to the FDIC of over $6 billion, according to Williams. In Section 2, we discussed the relevant academic literature. In Section 3, we discussed the data used in our statistical analysis. In Section 4, we outlined five hypotheses which we test. In Section 5, we discussed the results. We only find support for two out of the five hypotheses, namely the debt guarantee recipients were poorly governed as measured by total CO pay and pay in excess of that of their peer group. Further, the banks with FDIC bailouts were more systemically important. These effects were found to be both economically and statistically significant in Section 5. In Section 6, we conclude. Figure 1, face value of debt guarantee by the FDIC on December 31, 2010 and the credit default swap prices of selected banks just prior to the announcement of the TLGP. There are seven of the nine banks whose top managers were invited to the unveiling of the FDIC's debt guarantee program on October 13, 2008. State Street was omitted because it lacked credit default swap data on October 10, 2008. Merrill Lynch was excluded because it merged with Bank of America at the start of 2009 and thus had no FDIC-insured debt by December 31, 2010. Its CDS prices were 4.52% on that day. October 10, 2008 
was the last trading day prior to the announcement of the Temporary Liquidity Guarantee Program. That program insured senior unsecured bank debt with maturities of greater than a year issued at the bank holding company level prior to April 1st, 2009 at a rate of 1.10% per annum. The maximum maturity of TLGP debt was just over three years. The credit default swap data is taken from market. We use CDS prices for senior unsecured bank debt at the holding company level with the maturities of three years. Market only had prices for Bank of New York Mellon for five-year maturities or greater. The five-year CDS spread was used for BK. As a back-of-the-envelope estimate of the subsidy of the select group of banks, the authors multiplied the difference between the CDS prices and the TLGP premium of 1.1% by three years and the face value of TLGP debt outstanding by each one of these banks at the end of 2010. That puts the subsidy flowing for, to these seven banks at $18.5 billion from the debt guarantee program alone. More precise estimates are hard to arrive at in part because the FDIC, SARSIC, and Davis chose to hide most of the details of the debt guarantee since 2008 from the public. The ticker abbreviations of the seven banks are as follows, BAC, Bank of America, BK, Bank of New York Mellon, C, Citigroup, GS, Goldman Sachs, JPM, JP Morgan Chase, MS, Morgan Stanley, and WFC, Wells Fargo. Figure two, the FDIC debt guarantees outstanding over time. The bars represent the notional value of the debt guarantees and the line represents the number of legal entities with outstanding guarantees. This aggregate data was from the FDIC's monthly reports on the Temporary Liquidity Guarantee Program Debt Guarantee Program. The authors only have institution-specific data for one date in the life of the program, December 31, 2010, which was provided by SARSIC. Williams, 2010, estimates that over $600 billion in debt guarantees were granted by the TLGP. Unfortunately, the secrecy of the FDIC about this program prevents us from reporting more precise figures about the program's total size. The author's analysis of the participants on December 31, 2010 indicates that the FDIC is overstating the number of firms participating in the FDIC program. On that date, several firms were counted as two different legal entities and Citigroup, the largest recipient of debt guarantees with $58.25 billion in guarantees, was counted as three different legal entities. Thus, it seems likely that the number of participants, which peaked at 101 in May 2009, is overstated, indicating these federal benefits were spread more widely than they actually were. Section 2, Literature Review. Part A, Bailout Participation Studies. This is the only study that looks at the factors affecting the propensity for banks to accept debt guarantees from the TLGP. Dugan Bump et al. 2010 look at the propensity of mutual funds to sell their asset-backed commercial paper through an emergency facility at the Federal Reserve, the asset-backed commercial paper money market fund liquidity facility, which was in effect during 2008 and 2009. Wilson and Wu 2016 
find that banks that participate in the TARP bailout were significantly more likely to participate in the Federal Reserve's emergency commercial paper purchase program. In contrast, here we find there is only a significant positive association between TARP participation and the use of FDIC debt guarantees if we fail to control for other factors. The commercial paper funding facility was used by the Federal Reserve to buy commercial paper worth $738 billion from 81 institutions, of which 45 were based outside the United States, according to Wilson and Wu, 2016. The other studies of characteristics of the participants in the bailouts of the financial crisis of 2007 to 2009 all look at the characteristics of banks or credit unions accepting TARP capital. Examples of this literature are Bayazitova and Shivdasani, Cadman et al., Duchin and Sosira Lee, Nig et al., Talia Ferro, 2009, Panna and Wilson, 2012, and Puente and Wilson, 2013. For example, Duchin and Sosura Lee, 2011, and Panna and Wilson, 2012, find that political and or regulatory connections were significantly positively related to a bank's obtaining TARP investments. 2B, executive pay bailouts and risk taking. There are two papers that look at how executive compensation affects the propensity of banks to enter and exit the TARP bailouts. The TARP bailout, unlike the TLGP, contained provisions restricting executive pay, such as prohibitions on golden parachutes and limitations on the tax deductibility of compensation. Cadman et al. 2011 finds that excessive CEO pay reduces the likelihood that a bank will accept TARP funds after controlling for other factors. Wilson and Wu 2012 looks at how CEO pay affects a bank's willingness to exit TARP. That paper finds that higher CEO pay is significantly positively associated with a bank's willingness to exit TARP. The TLGP guaranteed debt was in some sense a substitute for TARP capital for banks that wanted to avoid executive pay restrictions of TARP. We find that higher and excessive CEO pay is significantly positively associated with having FDIC debt guarantees. There is some evidence that bank executive compensation influences the risk-taking incentive of banks. Saunders et al. 1990 finds that managerial equity stakes are significantly positively correlated with the bank risk, and they advocate using executive compensation to determine regulatory examination frequency. John et al. 2000 argue that managerial compensation can serve as a more effective regulatory mechanism than capital and asset regulation. They argue that fairly priced insurance premiums would ensure that bank equity holders choose the optimal managerial compensation contracts that induce socially optimal risk choices. 
Nevertheless, if banks can expect below market insurance premiums on their debt, as we observe in figure one, then executives may take socially excessive risks. In search of a cause for the financial crisis of 2008 to 2009, excessive and inappropriately structured bank executive compensation is widely criticized to have encouraged excessive risk-taking. Several researchers proposed some key principles for reforming bank executives' pay. Bagat and Romano advocate that bank executive incentive compensation plans should consist only of restricted stock and restricted stock options that take a long time to vest. The loss of liquidity from these restrictions could be offset by greater use of cash compensation. Chang et al. analyzed the relationship between the size of executive compensation and firm risk-taking among financial firms. They find a correlation between total executive compensation and several different measures of firm risk controlling for firm size. Bebchuk and Spamen 2009 and Bebchuk 2010 recommend that bank executives should be compensated with more long-term instead of short-term incentives. In addition, the incentive compensation should not be exclusively linked to share performance. They suggest that instead of tying executive compensation only linked to the equity, compensation should be linked to a broader basket of securities, including common stock, preferred shares, and all outstanding bonds. Castle et al. find a negative association between CEO inside debt holdings and the volatility of future firm stock returns, R&D expenditures, and financial leverage, and a positive association between CEO inside debt holdings and the extent of diversification and asset liquidity. This indicates that CEOs dial back risk when they hold more senior securities than debt. Empirical evidence shows mixed results on whether the bank executive compensation is directly linked to the financial crises. Fallenbrock and Stoltz, 2010, find evidence that banks where CEOs had better incentives in terms of the dollar value of their stake from CEOs' holdings of shares and options in 2006 performed slightly worse in 2007 to 2008 than banks where the CEO compensation was less aligned with the interests of shareholders. The authors of that study do not interpret the negative relationship between equity incentives and performance as evidence of excessive risk-taking incentives. Instead, they interpret this as a case where CEOs took exposures that they felt were profitable for their shareholders ex-ante, but those exposures performed very poorly ex-post. Tung and Wang provide empirical evidence that higher levels of inside debt holdings by CEOs was positively related to bank performance and was negatively related to bank risk-taking. The inside debt variable used in the empirical testing is defined as a the present value of the CEO's pension and deferred compensation balance. These compensation components give CEOs fixed claims against their firms, which are similar to compensation tied to the firm's bonds. 
Adams 2009 compares the characteristics of financial firms' boards and executive compensation policies with the boards and compensation policies of non-financial firms during the period of 1996 to 2007. They find that corporate governance in terms of board independence, board size, and average number of outside directorships per director in financial firms is not worse than for non-financial institutions. In addition, they find that CEO compensation when controlling for firm size is not significantly higher in financial firms than non-financial firms. The present paper adds to the literature by finding that firms with more highly paid executives were significantly more likely to take advantage of federal debt guarantees even after controlling for firm size and peer group compensation. Section 3, Data. Our universe is made up of all publicly traded commercial banks in 2009 as identified by SNL Financial 2010. SNL Financial had CEO paid data for just less than 800 banks which were based in the US and its territories. Of those banks, 509 had accounting data on CompuStat's Bank Fundamentals database. Our data set consisted of all the publicly traded commercial banks with both CEO pay and accounting data from SNL Financial and CompuStat respectively. CEO pay, the number of board members, the peer group comparisons, and total shareholder return data was obtained from SNL Financial 2010. SNL Financial 2010 and U.S. Treasury transaction reports were used to identify TARP recipients. Transaction account guarantee participants were identified by SNL Financial. Accounting data was taken from CompuStat's Bank Fundamentals database. The data on the recipients of the FDIC's Temporary Liquidity Guarantee Program, TLGP debt guarantees, were obtained from Sarshik 2011 in response to a Freedom of Information Act request by one of the authors. Sarshik 2011 only provides the names and par value of debt guaranteed at the end of 2010. At the end of 2010, there were 66 different legal entities with TLGP debt guarantees but several of these entities had the same corporate parent. After eliminating the double counting, there were 57 firms with TLGP guarantees. Nevertheless, only 26 of those TLGP firms were commercial banks covered by both SNL Financial 2010 and CompuStat. In Table 1, we list the average, median, minimum, maximum, standard deviation, and number of observations of various variables of interest from the sample of publicly traded banks which were eligible for the FDIC's debt guarantee program. The assets of these banks range from $75 million to nearly $2.2 billion. On average, in 2008, when the FDIC debt guarantee program was launched, these banks had negative returns on assets and negative returns on equity. The average bank had a tangible common equity ratio of about 
The TCE ratio is the difference between book common equity and intangible assets all divided by total assets. The average bank had deposits making up 71% of total liabilities. 244 banks received bailouts from the Troubled Asset Relief Program, or TARP. On average, they received $657 million, although these preferred stock investments from taxpayers range from between $4 million and $45 billion. We adjusted down banks' Tier 1 risk-based capital ratio so that only non-TARP capital was included in that measure. In 2008, the average Tier 1 risk-based capital ratio was 10.7%. While nearly half the sample received bailouts from the TARP, only 5.9% of the sample still had a bailout from the FDIC's debt guarantee program by the end of 2010. Nearly 90% of the sample participated in the FDIC's Transaction Account Guarantee Program, TAG, by the end of 2009. This emergency program guaranteed non-interest-bearing transaction accounts above the FDIC's account limits of $250,000 in exchange for fees. Panel B of Table 1 lists the summary statistics for the CEO pay, board size, benchmarking, and total shareholder return data. The average CEO in our sample made 933000 in 2008. The average annual compensation over the three-year crisis period of 2007 to 2009 for the average CEO was 948000 Nevertheless, the median CEO only received 441000 from their average pay over 2007 to 2009. The average CEO in our sample made 248000 more than the median CEO in their peer group or 159000 more than the average CEO in their peer group. SNL Financial determined the CEO peer groups. Nevertheless, the median CEO in our sample had roughly the same pay as the median or average CEO in his peer group. Over this three-year period of 2007 to 2009, the average bank had total shareholder returns of about negative 32%. The average CEO in our sample outperformed the average of his or her peer group by about 16%. The median CEO in our sample outperformed the average of his or her peer group by just under 3%. Section 4, Hypotheses. We would like to test several hypotheses about which banks in our sample availed themselves of TLGP debt guarantees. Our first hypothesis concerns systemic risk and the propensity of banks to get the FDIC bailout. The banks receiving Debt guarantees will pose greater systemic risks and have greater total assets than banks that do not get FDIC debt guarantees. This is Hypothesis 1, Systemic Risk. The idea behind Hypothesis 1 is that the FDIC will bail out banks that are too big to fail. We use asset size as a proxy for systemic risk. Hypothesis 2, Liquidity. Banks that face greater liquidity problems will seek out and be successful in receiving FDIC debt guarantees. 
A. Banks with more non-deposit short-term liabilities are more likely to apply for and receive FDIC debt guarantees. B. Banks with more deposits as a percent of liabilities are less likely to seek and obtain FDIC debt guarantees. C. Banks that have public debt issues are more likely to seek out FDIC debt guarantees. We believe that banks that face more liquidity problems will be more likely to seek out and obtain FDIC debt guarantees. Most deposits are already guaranteed by the FDIC. Thus, deposit creditors are more stable than other short-term lenders in times of crisis. The disorderly bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers led to the largest commercial paper default in U.S. history, according to Wilson and Wu, 2011. Thus, reliance on non-deposit liabilities, as in hypothesis 2A, will make the bank more likely to need the FDIC debt guarantees. Moreover, less reliance on non-deposit liabilities will make the bank less likely to seek out TLGP guarantees as postulated in hypothesis 2B. Finally, banks that are issuers of publicly traded debt are more exposed to investor revolts in the bond markets and are more likely to use FDIC debt guarantees to reduce their funding costs. While the FDIC will likely admit banks facing short-term liquidity problems, it will probably reject applicants that face solvency or profitability problems. Since banks could reduce their costs of debt by issuing these guarantees, the FDIC will have the ability to be selective about the banks it allows to participate in the program. Hypothesis 3. Screening. The FDIC will reject applicants to the TLGP with poor capital ratios, poor profitability measures, and high levels of problem loans. Hypothesis 3A Profitability. Banks with higher returns on assets, ROA, higher returns on equity, ROE, and higher net margins, NIM, are more likely to be participants in the TLGP. 3B, capital, commercial banks with higher ratios of tangible common equity, TCE, or higher adjusted tier one risk-based capital ratios are more likely to participate in the TLGP. 3C, asset quality, banks with fewer problem loans as measured by non-performing asset ratios, lower provisions for loan losses and lower levels of net charge-offs will be more likely to receive FDIC debt guarantees. The bailouts of the financial system were in some sense coordinated between federal agencies. For example, the FDIC's TLGP was announced at the same time that the TARP capital injections were announced for the largest banks. The leaders of the Federal Reserve, FDIC, and Treasury, Ben Bernanke, the Fed Chairman, Sheila La Bear, the FDIC chairwoman, and Henry Paulson, the U.S. Treasury Secretary, were on hand in the U.S. Treasury building to meet with the executives of the largest banks to pass out the first TARP capital infusions in exchange for preferred stock and warrants, according to Sorkin 2009. In addition, banks that accepted one bailout may be predisposed to accept another bailout, Moreover, the issuance of TLGP debt may be a way to repay the preferred stock loans from the TARP. 
There is some evidence that participating in one bailout is associated with participating in other federal government support programs. Wilson and Wu, 2011, find that firms participating in the TARP bailouts were significantly more likely to sell their commercial paper to the Fed as part of the central bank's commercial paper funding facility. Hypothesis 4, bailout. Banks that received bailouts from the Troubled Asset Relief Program, TARP, and banks that participated in the Transaction Account Guarantee Program are more likely to use FDIC guarantees. The last hypothesis is about poor corporate governance. CEOs with board oversight are likely to be able to set their own pay, according to Bebchuk and Freed in 2005 and Bebchuk and Freed 2003. Thus, CEO pay will be high, pay will not be closely reflecting performance, and pay will exceed the pay of CEOs at comparable firms. Core et al., 1999, argued that there are three reasons why large boards will be less effective, and they find this is generally the case. First, when the board is large, it is difficult for the directors to organize opposition against the manager. Second, when more outside directors of the board are appointed by the manager, these members are more likely to be influenced by the manager. Thus, managers expand the size of boards to have more friendly board members. Core et al. finds that the level of CEO compensation is significantly higher when board size is large. We believe that CEOs are more likely to take actions that benefit themselves at the expense of shareholders at badly governed firms. Executive pay restrictions associated with TARP capital may have spurred many banks to exit TARP early. According to Wilson and Wu 2012, thus we would expect that poorly governed banks would repay TARP early in 2009 to avoid executive pay restrictions. In February 2009, after most publicly traded banks had already joined the TARP, according to Wilson and Wu, 2009, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act tightened many executive pay restrictions for TARP recipient banks. In addition, we believe that banks which would repay TARP early would rely on other forms of government assistance that do not involve executive pay restrictions such as TLGP debt guarantees. These federal programs without pay restrictions, such as the TLGP, can serve as a substitute for TARP monies. Since the FDIC debt guarantees could extend over three years, they were the longest maturing government financing that banks could obtain at this time, except for TARP. The Federal Reserve emergency loans were usually overnight or had maturities of approximately a month. Hypothesis 5 bad corporate governance. Banks with poor governance as measured by high CEO pay, high relative CEO pay, large boards of directors, poor relative shareholder returns, and early TARP redemption will be more likely to participate in the FDIC's debt guarantee program. Section 5 results. In Table 2, we compare the means of the banks that receive TLGP debt guarantees and those that did not. All accounting items are taken from the 2008 annual reports. The average bank with FDIC debt guarantees was significantly larger than the rest of the sample. 
the average bank with FDIC debt guarantees had $20.5 billion in assets compared to $1.4 billion for the banks without those guarantees. This supports the systemic risk hypothesis. Debt guarantee recipients were more dependent on short-term debt markets. Non-deposit short-term liabilities scaled by assets or book equity are significantly higher at TLGP banks. Moreover, the banks with debt guarantees had significantly lower at the 1% level ratios of deposits to total liabilities than other banks. This indicates that debt guarantee recipients were more exposed to increases in the LIBOR and other metrics of stress in the bank funding markets. Debt guarantee recipients were significantly more likely to have debt issues outstanding without FDIC guarantees. Indeed, TLGP recipients were 10 times more likely to have publicly traded debt than non-recipient banks in our sample. The hypothesis about screening receives little support in Table 2. Most of the screening metrics indicate that banks with debt guarantees were weaker than other banks without debt guarantees. The profitability metrics ROA, ROE, and NIM all indicate that TLGP recipients were less profitable than other banks, but not significantly less profitable. Still, the profitability metrics have the opposite sign from what is predicted. Likewise, the capital metrics have the opposite sign, indicating the FDIC debt guarantee recipients were not as well capitalized as other publicly traded banks. Tangible common equity ratios for debt guarantee recipients are significantly lower at the 1% level, 5% versus 8.2%, yet adjusted tier 1 ratios are lower for TLGB banks, but not significantly lower for those firms. Predictions of the screening hypothesis concerning asset quality Hypothesis 3C received little support. The TLGP banks have lower levels of non-performing assets and net charge-off loans, but these differences are small and insignificant. The sign is predicted by Hypothesis 3C, but we cannot conclude that these insignificant results support Hypothesis 3C. Moreover, the loan loss provisions are significantly larger for debt guarantee banks at the 10% level, which contradicts the asset quality hypothesis 3C. Overall, the screening hypothesis receives little support in Table 2. Instead, it seems that the FDIC fell victim to adverse selection and did a poor job of screening out the weaker banks based on some of these accounting ratios. The bailout hypothesis is strongly supported in Table 2, Panel A. The banks with debt guarantees were significantly more likely to participate in the TARP or the TAG bailouts. These results were significant at the 1% level. The bad corporate governance hypothesis also received solid support in our t-test. At the end of Table 2, Panel A, we see that TLGP banks were significantly more likely to repay TARP and shed TARP's executive pay curbs. From 2007 to 2009, the FDIC bailout recipient CEOs were paid on average $4.25 million more than banks not receiving FDIC bailouts. Most of the difference 
was higher bonus and equity compensation for the bank CEOs accepting FDIC debt guarantees. In addition, these the CEOs taking guarantees were on average paid significantly more than CEOs without FDIC bailouts, even after adjusting CEO pay based on the bank's peer group compensation. All the t-tests of executive compensation are significant at the 1% level. Thus, there is strong support for the prediction hypothesis 5 that CEOs in the TLGP would be more highly compensated than, than other bank CEOs. There is no evidence that these higher paid CEOs of banks with TLGP debt guarantees earned that higher pay. Indeed, the average CEO with the FDIC bailout produced total shareholder returns from 2007 to 2009 of negative 44.8% compared to negative 31.1% for CEO of banks without bailouts. Thus, lower share price performance for bailed-out CEO persists when we control for the bank's peer group performance. Yet, while TSR numbers are of the predicted sign in Hypothesis 5 on bad corporate governance, these differences are not statistically different from zero. We would like to see how multiple variables affect the likelihood of a bank receiving debt guarantees from the FDIC at the end of 2010. We use a logistic model to control for multiple possible correlates. With We estimate the logistic model with maximum likelihood techniques. In Table 3, we test five hypotheses after controlling for other factors. Many of the hypotheses that were statistically significant in the univariate tests in Table 2 are no longer significant in the logistic regressions in Table 3. The liquidity variable coefficients are only significant in Model 5, which does not control for total assets. In addition, the provisions for loan losses, the dummy variable for TARP participation, the dummy for TAG participation, and the dummy for TARP redemption are also insignificant in the multivariate setting. It is possible that these variables would be significant if the FDIC would release the full details of the debt guarantees since the start of the program. With the current data from Sarshik, the liquidity screening and bailout hypotheses cannot be supported in the multivariate setting. The most significant results come from our CEO pay, tangible common equity ratio, and total asset data. The positive and significant association between CEO pay and the log of total assets and TLGP participation lends support for the bad corporate governance hypothesis and the systemic risk hypothesis, hypotheses 5 and 1, respectively. In contrast, the negative association between participation in the debt guarantee program and having higher TCE ratios supports rejection of the screening hypothesis. The average CEO pay during the financial crisis of 2007 to 2009 and the average CEO pay less average peer group pay are positive and significant in all specifications of the logistic regression models. This indicates that higher paid CEOs and CEOs paid higher than their peer groups were more likely to have debt guarantees from the FDIC. 
This is true even after we control for firm size. Indeed, in Model 4, the coefficient for CO compensation is positive and significant, but the coefficient for total assets is insignificant. Despite the strong positive relationship between CEO pay and firm size, both factors are significantly associated with taking FDIC debt guarantees. This lends support for the idea that both the bad corporate governance and systemic risk hypotheses have strong association with accepting the FDIC's bailout. The positive relation between firm size and the level of CEO compensation is well documented by the literature. Baker et al. documents that the elasticity of compensation with respect to firm sales is about 0.3. That is, when a firm size increases by 10%, the CEO pay increases by 3%. Gabay and Landier demonstrate that the size of firms explains many of the patterns of CEO pay. That paper argues that the six-fold increase of U.S. CEO pay from 1980 to 2003 roughly corresponds to the increase in market capitalization of large companies during that period. Gabay and Landier, 2008, argue that small differences in CEO talent can lead to considerable compensation differentials as magnified by firm size. Empirical studies on the impact of executive compensation typically include firm size as a control variable. See, for example, Liu and Maurer, 2011, and Coles et al., 2006. Statistical significance is important, but it is also important to look at the economic significance of the coefficients. To do that, we will see how increases in the independent variables affect the predicted probability of receiving FDIC debt guarantees. If we take the median values from Table 1 and combine these coefficients of the model, 1 of Table 3 using the formula in Equation 1, then the baseline predicted probability of a bank having FDIC debt guarantees is 2.1%. This predicted probability jumps to 5.5% if the CEO's average pay during the crisis period rises from the median of 441,000 to two standard deviations above the median of 4.2 million. Likewise, the baseline probability of participation in the FDIC bailout 2.1% jumps to 17.5% if the bank has total assets two standard deviations from the median from 17 billion to 282 billion in assets. Thus, both total compensation and total assets have a big marginal effect on the predicted probability of having FDIC debt guarantees. In Model 3, we can test the marginal impact of the two other statistically significant variables, TCE capital ratios and the difference of CEO pay versus the peer group average. In Model 3, the baseline predicted probability for the bank with the median characteristics is 2.1%. Nevertheless, if we increase this hypothetical bank's TCE capital ratio from 7.1% to two standard deviations above the median to 16.3%, then the predicted probability of the bank being in the TLGP debt guarantee program drops to 0.3%. Better capitalized banks are much less likely to participate in the FDIC's bailout. 
the median CEO in our sample made on average only 15,000 more during the crisis years of 2007 to 2009 than the average pay of his or her peer group CEOs. Nevertheless, suppose that the CEO's pay exceeds that of his peer group by two standard deviations above the median. If she is paid on average $4.1 million more on average than the average of her peers, then her bank has a 6.2% chance of benefiting from the FDIC debt guarantee according to Model 3 and Table 3. Overpaid CEOs were twice as likely to get FDIC debt guarantees from the Temporary Liquidity Guarantee Program, TLGP. Section 5, Conclusion. This is the first study to look at the propensity for banks to accept bailouts from the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation's FDIC's Debt Guarantee Program, which guaranteed bank debt issued between October 13, 2008 and October 31, 2009. Williams 2010 claims that over $600 billion of U.S. government guaranteed debt was issued under this program without any congressional approval. Indeed, the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform Act of 2010 prevents the FDIC from issuing similar guarantees in the future without a joint resolution of Congress. We find that banks receiving these FDIC guarantees had CEOs who were paid significantly more than their peers even after controlling for other factors. There is little evidence that these CEOs earned that pay with greater shareholder returns. In addition, the debt guarantee bailout was significantly more likely to be used by large, systemically important banks. The author's other hypotheses were not well supported by the data. There is little evidence that the FDIC screened out weaker banks or favored banks with short-term liquidity problems when we control for other factors. Moreover, this temporary liquidity guarantee program's TLGP debt guarantees may have been used as a substitute, not a complement for other government rescues. TLGP recipients were only significantly more likely to participate in the Troubled Asset Relief Program when we failed to control for other factors. I think I'll do uh, several more readings of my papers before I get to the first interview. But if you have any finance academics that you would like me to interview, that you'd think would be a good person to interview, send me an email at linuswilson at louisiana.edu. And check out our show notes blog. Links to that are at financeprofessor.org and sign up for our free newsletter. Bye-bye for now. I'm Linus Wilson.